Welcome to Musicians vs. the World. I'm very excited to share this latest episode with you. If you've been following our podcast on social media, you may have noticed a lot of posts recently about lesser known composers, especially female composers. Well, there's a good reason for that. March was Women's History Month, and so I joined the Female Composer Challenge, which was orchestrated by Jenny Boster, who is a nationally certified teacher of music and owner of the Playful Piano blog. The Playful Piano is a blog that Jenny created that is full of creative teaching techniques and strategies that I've implemented in my teaching over the years. And so I knew that whatever challenge Jenny had planned was going to be fun and truly beneficial to my teaching and musicianship. And I was not disappointed. I was so blown away and impressed and inspired by this challenge that I invited Jenny to come and talk with me even more about it, about her reasons why she created this Female Composers Challenge and why it's so important for musicians and especially music teachers to really learn about these female composers throughout history. And so I hope that you learn a little something in today's episode and that you enjoy it as much as I did. So Jenny, welcome. Thank you. This is so fun. Would you like to introduce yourself a little bit and tell us a little bit about your history? Sure. Um, so I started piano when I was five, like many of us do. And I, I took lessons all through school and just loved it. Um, I had a teacher in high school who was like my hero. She totally just inspired me to be a teacher. I wanted to be her. Um, and so I started teaching piano when I was a teenager um, under her suggestion. And then I went on to study piano performance in college, received a Bachelor of Music degree in piano performance, um, and then continued teaching all throughout that time. Um, I then became a nationally certified teacher of music. So I've taught for over 22 years, which is kind of crazy, but I love it. I've, I've just loved um, trying to bring music into other young people's lives like my teacher did for me. Um, so about 11 years ago, I started a piano teaching blog and it was really fun to kind of grow this community of piano teachers. And so over the years, I started creating piano teaching resources that I use for my own students. And I thought maybe other people would like to use these too. So I, it's been really fun journey to kind of see where my career has taken me. My website is called The Playful Piano. And um, I have tons of piano teaching resources. Over the past few years, I have focused a lot on listening and music history, which I have just gained this big passion for. And so it's been really, it's been really a fun journey. And I have used so many of your fun teaching strategies with uh -huh. my students and they love it, especially the listening. Oh my goodness. I know we're here to talk about the Female Composers Challenge, but could we just really quick... Talk about the listening projects that you've been doing, because these yeah. have been so, so effective in making my students just fall in love with classical music. I'm so glad to hear that. I've, I've been pondering this a lot, and I think where it kind of started was in college, my senior year, I had a piano literature class, and we had a semester-long project where we had to learn about composers. We had to do a little research, you know, write a little biographical sketch. And then we just had to listen. We did so many hours of listening and then we would, you know, write down our thoughts and our, our reactions to the music. And, and it turned into this like two huge binders full was my project. And I think it was through that class 
that I gained just this passion for listening because when you start listening to new composers that you've never played before or that you didn't know about before and you discover such great literature that you want to learn, it's really, really inspiring. So ever since then, I have tried to do listening assignments in my own studio in one way or another, and it kind of just started simply and, you know, kind of evolved over the years. But a few years ago, I was feeling frustrated with students who were so talented, but they just quit. They just would randomly quit. And I had this one in particular and she was so talented and she was playing a variety of music. We didn't do, it wasn't all classical. It was a lot classical. The reason her mom gave me was she just doesn't like classical music. And that's why they quit. Wow. They just made me sad because I love it so much. Now, I grew up listening to classical music. Mm -hmm. So I had that in my life. It was part of my life. So I just thought, how can I really like get my students to appreciate it and find the composers that they enjoy? You don't have to enjoy every Mm -hmm. composer, you know. So I just, I had this idea um, kind of out of the blue. Well, what if we could do like a coloring book where they color while they're listening. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't even know where that came from, but I just thought maybe that could be fun, you know. I didn't see myself as a great artist, but I had always loved to draw. So I just started drawing pictures and I started, you know, putting together lists of music. Oh, this would be cool in a book. And so I put together this curriculum called Shades of Sound. And so what it is, it's a little bit of a music history. It'll tell a little bio about each composer. And then there will be a piece to listen to. And there's a coloring page to go with each piece. And the great thing about it is it uses so many different learning modes at the same time. So they're reading, they're reading the history. Mm -hmm. um, And there's also a couple of prompts to answer questions. So reading and writing, kind of a basic, you know, traditional learning model. And then you've got the visual aspect with the pictures um, added in there. And then, of course, the auditory with the listening, but then you add in the coloring. And so it adds this uh, kinesthetic. So they're doing, you know, they're doing something while they're listening. And so it turns it into this kind of just really engaging experience. And it's really actually a cool way to listen to music. I have found. It is. And actually I've used some of yours in my recitals, you know, because there's Mm -hmm. so many little ones that come to their older, yeah, their older siblings recitals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I pass them out with some crayons and say, Hey, while you're listening, while you're sitting here for an hour, why don't you color? And I have found that the parents and the teenagers, everyone colors during yes, these recitals. Exactly. And they love That's it. That's awesome. I love that. What yeah. a good idea. It's true though. I think coloring is something that all ages can enjoy. And mm-hmm. I've been doing it this year. I've been homeschooling my five kids this year because of the pandemic. Oh my goodness. So it's been an adventure, but we, we've been using my books for music appreciation and we do do it all together. My three-year-old up to my 13-year-old and I, we all color and it's just really fun. So smart. And it's so good for mental health too. It is. To just, it is. I don't know what it is Very, about like, coloring. Stress relieving, relaxing. And I presented these things at music teacher conferences and I had a group of teachers in a room and I was I passed them out the the coloring and we all colored while we listened to it so they could all try it out. And some of them were like almost like really moved. They're like, wow, like I have never experienced anything like this before. It was so neat to experience the music in this new way. You're kind of combining different art forms together. Right. Yeah. 
and that's just the perfect way to do it. But you not only have these coloring pages, you come up with playlists, like YouTube playlists that they can Mm -hmm. listen to. That must take a ton of time. That's a big part of it because I want it to be a really good mix, you know, of genres or time periods, I guess, and a good mix of composers. So that's a really fun part for me is kind of curating these lists and putting them together. Well, and then you also said something interesting in your introduction to it that said, how can we expect them to play classical music if they don't know how it's supposed to sound? You said, how can you expect someone to write if they've never read a story before? Exactly. Exactly. Like that's, we're making music. We're pianists. We're making music. But if we're not familiar with any of these composers and have listened to so many different styles, then it really uh, limits us, I guess, you know? Right. Pianists, obviously. So. Right. I will. I love it. Um, have there, has, has there been a piece that was new to you that was really inspiring as you were creating these, these coloring sheets? Oh, there's been, there's been a lot. The ones on my mind right now actually are not even in a book yet. They're what we've been doing for this female composers. And so those are the ones I think of right now, cause they're the newer ones. Well, let's go ahead and talk about the female composers because that just fits right into this, this project. Yes. And so I have to tell you from a participation standpoint, because I've been doing this challenge with you, yes. it has, oh my goodness, it's been so eye-opening. You know, you go to school, you go to all those music history classes, you go to the conferences, you're constantly, you know, reading biographies, mm-hmm. things like that. And here I've been introduced to 31 other composers that I had never, I'd heard of, I'd heard of two of them. I had heard of two of them, but others like none. I had never. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is a whole new world. Isn't it crazy? Like that we don't know these people. (laughs) Yes. So tell me this story. How did this come about? So it's kind of, let's go back a little bit. So I talked about that project in school that was inspiring to me. It's, it has Mm -hmm. irony to it though. So Um, I was looking back the other day and the teacher had a list of 48 composers we were supposed Mm -hmm. to listen to and learn about and zero women in that list. So out of all of those composers, there were none. Was it really? And I don't know if your experience was different if you had. And I was thinking back, I remember writing a paper about Robert Schumann. And so I mentioned Clara, his wife. Right, right. Musically, I don't think we listen to anything by women. There was kind of this vibe I got that anyone not on this list was not worthy. You know, it wasn't ever spoken, you know, but it was just like, these yeah. are the most important composers. <laughs> As a pianist, you need to know these right. ones. The other ones, who cares kind of thing Right, was the feeling. And so that's kind of how we've grown up through all of our, our training, um, all of our music history we've learned. We don't really learn about them very much. So as I'm doing these coloring books and getting these lists, I start thinking, wait a second. Like, what about the women? Like I knew, I didn't know very many. I, you know, I knew Clara Schumann, mm-hmm. I knew Amy mm-hmm. Beach, but I started to realize, wait a second. Like, why haven't we learned about any? There has to be women. Right. Composers. So a few years ago, I started to kind of just dive in and try to do some research and figure out, you know, who are the women composers that we could learn about? Right. Um, so about three years ago, I, I did a shades of sound book all about women composers. There were 19 women in there and I thought, Oh, maybe Mm -hmm. I'll find enough to, you know, to put a book together. And as I did it, I, I couldn't believe how many I kept finding. And I have found so many that once I was done with that book, I had this huge list of other composers to look into. 
that I had never heard of before. So, wow. so this year, so I, since it's March, it's women's history month. I thought maybe this is a good time to just try to get people just aware. That was kind of my goal. Right. Let's just be, help other piano teachers become aware that there's a lot of female composers out there. So I decided to start the Female Composers Challenge. So the challenge is pretty simple, is you listen to one piece per day by a female composer, and each day is a different composer, and then you sight read one piece per day by a female composer. It's been so fun. It's been so great to really dive in and learn about these women. For me, like I was initially when I started learning about women, I was so surprised how many there were because we're not taught about them. And I'm not really surprised anymore, but it was fun to like present them to this audience who they were new to, you know, this, and I could sense like a lot of surprise and it was just really fun to see people say, oh my goodness, I had no idea that these women were composing and that there's such amazing music out there. I think, I think you're right with the, in the piano literature class, I didn't, I don't think there were, I don't think there was a single female. I I do remember in the general music history class, I think that they they talked about mm-hmm. Amy Beach pretty much and then Clara mm-hmm. Schumann. Those were the ones. And then actually Nadia Boulanger, they talked mm-hmm. about her teaching career, but they didn't right. talk a single thing about any of her composing. Right. So, And I have looked back. I still, in fact, I have on my shelf here my old my Bond's music history textbook from school. And uh-huh. I've, I've looked at it and used it. And there are actually quite a few mentioned in there, but I don't think, I think they were kind of skimmed over. But I have yeah. been able to find, you know, a little bit in there about them. Yeah, but you have to look. You have to look. Right. And then in a lot of the, a lot of the anthologies that we use to teach, you know, the ones that mm-hmm. come those levels with all of the different composers that are important. Yeah. I found one Amy Beach piece yep. in all of the anthologies and yeah. And then the more, so I kind of took this challenge, you know, since you were gearing it towards piano teachers, Mm -hmm. I started looking at for repertoire that I could give my students. And, um, there was so much, and there were so many that I was thinking, okay, well, this one kind of sounds like Bergmuller. Why don't I present this one and Bergmuller at the same time and see which one the student connects with better because they do the same thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. That's great that you said that. I watched a webinar a year last year. I can't remember. I think it was presented by Keys to Imagination. Is that what they're called? Anyway, there was a webinar about women composers. The woman presenting the class, um, she was talking about repertoire swaps. That she so she's mm. advocating for swapping out traditionally taught pieces by men for a different piece by a woman who that maybe teaches the same techniques. So I thought that was really cool. So she talked about there was a piece by Teresa Creno called A Child Sleeps. It had Mm -hmm. a lot of similarities to Mendelssohn's Venetian boat song. So that was one of the examples. And then there was an Amy Beach for a Bergmuller. So the idea... Mm -hmm. Which I love that idea. Not that we, you know, we love the music by the men, but let's swap in a few, you know, pieces by women. 
Right, right. Well, like you said, there's so much music out there and so many of our students have different personalities that there's no reason to just funnel them and say, you must play this Mm -hmm. when you can give them an option. Maybe there's another one that might, you know, teach the same thing, but connects to them a little bit. Exactly. So I had another experience that was pretty eye-opening. I was at my local music store probably a couple years ago. It was before COVID hit. And I thought, I wonder what music they have by women, you know, and they have, of course, there's tons of women who write method books and, you know, the kind of pedagogical section, there's a lot of women, which is great. But then I was looking and they have kind of the advanced, more advanced piano literature section with all the classics. And I started kind of looking through and I, I couldn't see anything by women. And so I went up to the counter to the man who runs the store and I said, do you have any piano music by women? You know, and I kind of explained and he looked really perplexed, like nobody <laughs> ever asked him this question before. And he said, I don't know, let me come look. And so he looked through it a lot and he pulled out one book, one Amy Beach, and it was just a tiny book. It wasn't even like a full collection. It was just like maybe one suite of music, you know, uh-huh. this is the only one we have. And so we had an interesting little conversation and I kind of talked to him a little bit about kind of what I was working on and then kind of did my shopping. And then later when I came and checked out at the, at the counter, it was really interesting because I could see his computer screen. I could see he had Googled, you know, women composers. And there was an article that said 10 female composers you should know. So uh I had gotten him thinking, which I thought, oh, I got him like thinking about it. And then I was like, you know, if the music stores don't carry this music and if the people who run the music stores don't even know, they're not even aware that it's out there, how are we going to, you know, how are we going to find this music? So that was a really interesting experience. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so smart of you to go through piano teachers and to get them aware because Mm -hmm. the music stores aren't going to have it if there's not a demand for it. Exactly. And if there's no demand for it, then no one's going to publish it. But if there is, if people are asking for it, then that gets them more, you know, Mm -hmm. front and center. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's extremely important because as music teachers, we're really, we're really opening up a world of different cultures to our students because none of them have been a Russian composer in 1860, you know, like none of them have actually lived that. But when we give them Tchaikovsky, we can tell them about what's going on in the time period, like what's life like for him. Mm -hmm. And so, and, or like a German composer or, you know, um, a Latin composer or something along those lines. And if we then say, oh, and here is a woman composer, it's just another it's another perspective and it vastly improves the richness and their own musical tastes. Definitely. Definitely. And I think that knowing about their life story really helps too. It gives the music some context, Mm -hmm. you know, like you knew this piece was written during world war two and this composer was going through these hard things, you know, it really just gives more context to the piece and makes it more beautiful. Just understanding where it came from. Yeah. Yeah. So who are some of your favorites? So it's so hard to choose. So we, I know. we're doing 31 this month. Um, so some of my favorites, I really was excited to learn about a French composer. Her name is Helene de Montgeroux, if I say that right. I'm not French. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the other thing. We don't know these names. We don't right. know how to say them. Isn't that sad? But so Helene, Helene de Montgeroux, she was a French 
composer, and she was a brilliant virtuoso pianist, and she lived during the French Revolution. So Ooh. she lived all during during that time, and she also lived at that crucial time that was the harpsichord was transitioning to you know they were had the earliest pianos, the pianofortes. So, mm-hmm. and she also lived during the the time period between the classical and the romantic. So she was kind of at this like key period in history, and she was actually the first female professor at the Paris Conservatory when it opened. And there's actually this this story going, and I don't even know if it's true. And they say it's a myth that she was, you know, they talk about, she lived during the reign of terror during this French revolution. And she escaped execution by improvising variations on a patriotic melody. So I thought that was kind of a cool story. I don't know that it's true, but it kind of just shows the time period she lived in. Mm -hmm. Um, The cool thing about her is that she Well, she had a huge contribution to pedagogy. She published like this huge three volume uh, piano method with tons of studies. She she wrote over 70 etudes and they're gorgeous. Um, I've just loved listening to them and playing some of them. And she wrote nine piano sonatas. But the main contribution she had was that she taught that the piano can sing. So it's just a brand new piano. You know, the harpsichord is you know, kind of gone. And so she's teaching that the piano can sing just like the Italian singers. So if you've ever been in piano lessons and learned about, you know, creating that beautiful singing tone and Mm -hmm. lifting, lifting after the slurs, that was from her. That was her big contribution. So another one I really loved learning about her name is Zara Levina. She was a Soviet era composer born in Mm -hmm. Ukraine. And she lived during the time where there's all this censorship, you know, in the Soviet right. Union, she was a contemporary of Shostakovich and she also mm-hmm. knew Kovalevsky. They worked together. Let's see. She organized the children's music committee of the composers union of the USSR. And so they worked on children's music education together. So she did write a oh. lot of children's songs, which is kind of cool, but she mm-hmm. also composed a lot of piano works and large scale works and her, I first heard her piano concerto number one, and I thought, this is gorgeous. It reminded me a lot of Rachmaninoff, his mm-hmm. his piano concerto number two. It has like really fast, dramatic kind of perpetual motion piano part with this really broad, beautiful melody in the strings, and it's mm-hmm. gorgeous. Yeah, I find that time period so interesting and how the different composers navigated that, where some really censored themselves and kind of like did mm-hmm. different things and others were like, forget this, I'm moving to America. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I'll have to I'll have to look more into her, Very her music. Her piano works that I've I've played a couple of them. They're really pretty. They're really kind of haunting. She mm-hmm. she had a really hard life. She had a husband who died really early and he was a composer too. So she had oh. this grief from that. And anyway, it's just very intriguing. And then I loved, I mean, there's so many. Can I tell you two more that I really yes. learning about? Um, Florence Price. She's, uh, she's one of my favorites too. Yeah. Born in Little Rock, Arkansas. She was the first African-American woman for, to have a symphony performed by a major American orchestra. And that was in 1933. And she was a pianist and an organist and a t- piano teacher. She composed over 300 works, including symphonies, concertos, a piano sonata. So she's really incredible. She has, you know, mm-hmm. she's, she did a lot. She faced a lot of discrimination because of her skin color. For example, she tried to join the Arkansas Music Teachers Association and they wouldn't let her. So she oh. made her own for black composers. Oh, 
Good for her. It was awesome. She just, you know, kept moving on. After the stock market crashed, her husband lost his job. So she stepped up and did everything she could musically to support her family. So she taught lessons. She played the organ for silent movies, which I thought was really neat. She composed commercial jingles and she arranged music for a radio orchestra. She just did everything she could. Just such perseverance and grit. And But her music is gorgeous. And I, I really want to get some more of her piano music. It's kind of hard to find. Yes. Yes. It's really hard to find. So, uh, you know, I'm, I've been looking into that a little bit, but there's some recordings out and they're gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Like she has a really, she has her classical training, but then she brings in a lot of jazz harmonies and right. kind of her own unique voice. So mm-hmm. love her. Yeah. It's, I think it's so important for American kids to learn their own American definitely musical heritage. And she's a big part of that. She is. She is. And one more like favorite that I discovered, um, her name's Emily Mayer. She was a German composer in the 19th century so she lived kind of during the time of like Mendelssohn, Schumann, Liszt, Wagner, all of those, Mm -hmm. Brahms. We don't know very much about her life. It was hard to dig up any information about her life but she was so at that time women were only mainly just composing like parlor music you know just small scale um, genres like that but she just broke out of that. She was so prolific. She composed symphonies and or big orchestral works so she wrote eight symphonies seven orchestral overtures she a bunch of violin and cello sonatas six piano trios seven string quartets just so prolific she composed so much she she never married she just she lived with family and friends who Mm -hmm. helped support her so she could just compose all the time but sadly her music was is has been forgotten since she died. Um, But there are now there's a bunch of recordings that have come out of her symphonies and they're, they're gorgeous. They're dramatic and just beautiful. And I, I feel like they are just as good as the men's, (laughs) you know, the men's that are so famous that we hear all the time. Yeah. And what I find interesting is a lot of these composers that you've introduced over the month were actually very famous during their life. And so they would often perform their own pieces and then they were just kind of lost to history for one reason or another. Crazy, I know. And one of the things I've learned is like, just to realize they were there, like they were in that, you know, those circles. There's so many women who they taught famous male male composers or they were taught by them. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, List taught Sophie Mentor and Agatha Backer Grondahl. Those are two of the composers we highlighted this month. You know, they were students of Liszt. They were amazing. Or there are so many mm-hmm. that were friends with composers. Um, there was a woman named Maria Hester Park who was friends with Haydn. And I feel like their piano concertos are similar. And they w- they actually wrote to each other. They corresponded through letters and shared their music with each other. There's like, I could go on and on. There's so many examples of these women who they were in the same circles as these men a lot of the times, but we just don't know about it. They, they had these domestic duties that they had to, they had to do. So when the men went off to Europe to study and to make their career, Mm -hmm. the women had to stay home. It was also very hard for women composers to get published. The ones who were published, many of them would publish with a male pseudonym or some of them Mm -hmm. would have you know, connections of some sort. I know like some of them would have like a husband who was a publisher or like a, a Royal who they, you know, they would 
platform in their court, mm-hmm. but it was just really hard for them. Yeah. And I think of Fanny Mendelssohn and her life is pretty much like that. She wrote so much music, but a lot of her music was actually published under her brother's name because he loved it. And he yeah. knew, I mean, they had the exact yes. same education. They yeah. both studied Bach mm-hmm. so much and you can hear it in their, in both of their writings, but she had that family yeah. duty with her mm-hmm. father and, you know, and then later on with her own family. Yeah. So I know yeah. it, it's sad. It's, it's it is just tough. tough. They, and so I think it makes the ones that were so prolific, even more amazing because they had so much to go against to, you know, to make their careers what they did. And you also introduced some very recent female composers as well to be on the lookout for. Who should we be watching? Um, I really love Gabriella Smith. She, the one we listened Mm -hmm. to was a string quartet. It's called Carrot Revolution. It's so Mm -hmm. fun. And just she, in that she um, tried to use kind of an old genre of string quartet and these instruments that were so, are so traditional and to play them in new ways. So that's really fun. And I've loved, mm-hmm. I've loved all her music that I've listened to. It's very inventive. And I really have loved mm-hmm. um, Caroline Shaw. She has, she's written all kinds of, all kinds of music. She has some piano works. She has, um, she has a new album that's like this percussion ensemble with a soprano, with a piano, you know, just very, very uh-huh. inventive also, very original. Um, there's, there's so many. Jesse Montgomery yeah. is another one that I've loved. And I saw that the Utah Symphony is performing something by her this spring. Oh, which yeah. actually That's really- brings me to something else that I've been thinking about and reading up about is the music performed by symphony orchestras. And there are some articles saying that, you know, on average, a symphony orchestra will program only 1.8 to 2.3% works by women in a season. Wow. So I thought, wow, that's really low. So I'm, I'm from Utah. So I looked up, okay, let's see what the Utah symphony has done. And so I looked up their, Uh their latest season before the pandemic had hit. And I think they had about 3% was music by women. Oh, so better than average. A little bit better than average. And then I I thought, well, what about like, you know, the New York Philharmonic? So I looked them up. So in 2019, they actually did they called it Project 19. This They programmed a ton of works by women to celebrate, um, you know, women receiving the right to vote, the anniversary of that. So they had actually like 19% in that season, which was great. Wow. But in the previous season, they only had 6%. So I think it's really interesting that still today, there's still a huge discrepancy in in the music we're yeah. listening to that's available at the music stores. There's just not a lot by women. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think it starts with the music teachers because symphonies and other performance groups are really at the mercy of what's going to sell tickets. Mm -hmm. Right. And if people want to hear Beethoven, they're going to go to Beethoven. They're not, and they may not get season tickets. They may just go to that one or they may go just to the pops Mm -hmm. concert. And so it really, I think is on the piano teachers and the music teachers to introduce this to the next generation so that they will actually buy the tickets and keep, you know, and keep the demand up. I think so, because we are raising the next generation of musicians. And so, you know, what they learn and what they play, they'll be, they'll come to love and they'll come, you know, they'll try to find more works by that composer. And 
I think so. I think mm-hmm. we do have a really important role in that. Yeah. And they're only going to fall in love with it if they have some sort of connection to it. And the more diverse group of composers we can introduce them to, the more likely it is that they're going to find a connection to some sort of composer. That's part of the reason, too, why I put the sight reading aspect into this challenge. I think it's one thing to hear their name and then it's one thing to listen to their music. It's a whole other thing to play their music and to sit down and try it out. And it was really neat. I had so many people say, oh, this, this piece is perfect for one of my students. You know, I'm so excited or, Mm -hmm. or this piece, I want to learn this concerto for my next concerto that I learned. And it was fun to see different works that kind of inspired different people and that they got excited about. It's really important Mm -hmm. to play them and to start sight reading through these works and see what we can do in our studios. Right. So if any of the listeners are trying to find music by female composers, where should they start? It's pretty tough. Honestly, not a lot. So um, one place that's really, really good and it's free is the imslp.org. I think it is called Mm -hmm. the Petrucci Music Library. Um, It has any works that are public domain. There's a lot there. Um, That's a really, really good place. There's a few, you know, little anthologies of piano music by women um, that are published by some of the big companies. There's not a lot. So you can Mm -hmm. search for that. Um, I did discover a website called pianorarescores.com. It's awesome. They have 50 or 60 women on there and you can purchase a pack of their sheet music digitally. And I found a lot on there. I found Zara Lavina. That's where I found hers mm-hmm. to be able to play hers. But there's a lot on there. Um, but yeah, I wish we could get more that was published, you know, by these big publishing companies. Yeah. I don't know how to go about doing that. <laughs> I guess write letters, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, but yeah, maybe if there's a demand for it. So that's why I think if right. we start with teachers, I think that's where that's a good place to start. Yeah. There's, and there, one other point that I think is really important is we haven't really touched on is that I think that students need role models. So we've had we have all these male composers that we've all learned, but we need female role models. I think that our female students need to know oh, I could be like that. You know, I could compose Mm -hmm. because there just hasn't been that. And I think back to my, my teacher in high school, I wanted to be her. I wanted to be a mom and she was a mom and she also had this great career teaching piano and was so inspirational. Mm -hmm. And I think it can work the same way with composers. Mm -hmm. One that I hadn't mentioned, Alice Mary Smith, she was the first, um, English woman to write a symphony, I believe. And reading mm-hmm. about her life, it talks about, well, she did, you know, she had her domestic life too. And she had a family. She had a couple of daughters, I think, but she still, she composed some of her best works after her children were born. And I thought that was so cool Yeah, because as a mom myself, yeah. I'm like, well, I could still do great things too, you know, and having right. those, those women that maybe look more like us, that we can look up to, Mm -hmm. I think is really important. It's really important for our students to know they can do amazing things. But yeah, I I think that's a very, very, very good point. A very valid Mm -hmm. point. So what's next? What's the next big project you're going to do? Oh man. (laughs) Well, I'm actually, I'm going to turn. So all of these, this challenge, all these composers we did, I am going to put them into a book. And so I'm working on some coloring pages to go with them and it'll be a little bit more expanded. It'll have some more pieces that we didn't listen to that'll be included, but from those same 31 composers. Um, And I have off and on have been working on kind of a, just a larger scale, like 
music history curriculum that will be shades of sound, but that will go through the different musical periods. So the Baroque and oh. the classical, but I really yeah. want to include those women. I want to include those people of color. I want it to be, you know, more inclusive for, you know, from the traditional right. that we've all grown up learning. Cause I, I believe they were there and they've made important contributions. Yes. And I am so impressed with everything that you've put together and how much you are just influencing the next generation of music teachers and musicians. Thank you. I really appreciate you coming and talking with me today. No problem. It's been so fun. Musicians versus the world is a production of Frosted Lines Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. A very special thanks to Jenny Boster for creating the female composers challenge that we've loved and for taking the time to chat with us today. You can learn more about Jenny and check out Shades of Sound as well as the many, many other teaching resources she's created on her website, theplayfulpiano.com. The pieces of music you've heard today include Dreaming, Opus 25, Number 3 by Amy Beach, Melody by Fanny Mendelssohn Hensel, A Child Sleeps by Teresa Carreño, and Gondolier Song by Felix Mendelssohn. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please follow us so that you don't miss out on any future conversations. If there's a topic you'd like to discuss, come and chat with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or send us an email at info at Thanks so much.